All right, Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, we get a a continuation of this uh, kind of narrative surrounding a meal that Jesus is at. Up until this point, um, he's kind of been making his way into Jerusalem, and uh, there's the, the kind of constant message that he has been sharing is one of, hearing and responding. The theme has been something of, uh, here's who he says he is, and then you've got to respond to him. It's not just uh, that you are taking in information, but uh, it requires a response. And, and thus, um, thus far, he has demonstrated uh, his, um, his perspective in calling out uh, new things, you know, especially one of the things that he had uh, spoken of many times previously is this institution of working on the Sabbath, which some of the, the Pharisees had an issue with. But uh, if you look back at Jesus's ministry, you find that there's a situation where he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath and there's a man with a, a, a withered hand there, as we're told, uh, he, this guy who's experiencing this disability. And it's there in that instance that Jesus uh, sees that this guy is there. Uh, we're told in, in the text that the religious leaders put this guy there kind of in pur- on purpose to see what Jesus will do. And of course there, Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. Um, and then we find uh, in, in another passage on the Sabbath, there is uh, this, this uh, person who's bent over halfway. They kind of have this medical issue. And again, Jesus uh, heals that person on the Sabbath. And, and then uh, the, the religious leaders, they kind of get upset at that. They tell the, they don't speak to Jesus. They tell the people like, you guys, if you want to be healed, come on like the other days of the week. There's plenty of other days. Uh, and Jesus goes on to kind of make this point that the, that the Sabbath is, is uh, about wholeness, about bringing uh, into fruition God's kingdom and the characteristics of that. And, and so again, on the Sabbath, as we looked at the beginning of chapter 14, we find that uh, there is a situation where he is invited into a meal um, here at the at the beginning of, uh, or after the synagogue, he's invited into this meal in the house of, of this religious leader. And as he's there, uh, we're told in verse 3 of chapter 14 that there's a man who had dropsy, right? Um, this is kind of this swelling that takes place, this medical condition. Uh, it's, it's kind of like this extreme swelling situation. And we're told that they were watching him carefully. They want to see what's going to happen. And again, in this situation, Jesus is into the house of this Pharisee. He is brought in and observed, and he sees this guy. And again, he's like, this guy needs to be made whole. He wants to take care of him. He wants to show compassion. And in doing so, he brings healing. And uh, But before he does that, he poses this question. Is it is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they don't say anything. In fact, they don't speak for quite a while throughout the text uh, as, and throughout this meal, as you'll see. And he heals this man and, and then begins to, to frame out what it is to, to receive healing on the Sabbath. Uh, to, this is, Jesus is making the case that it's actually more appropriate to heal on the Sabbath because this is a mark of God's inbreaking kingdom of everything being made right. And so you find that being the case, and, and as that 
situation passes, then we find the next instance in this kind of room full of people, right? It would be probably pretty uncomfortable after that. But again, clearly uh, people are thinking much of themselves because you find in the next section in verse 7 that the rest of the guests are kind of jostling around trying to find the most important seats there. They want to be near the host. They want to put themselves in a position to be in this place of uh, of prominence. And Jesus makes this point there to tell them that when you come in, don't seek the places of honor. Instead, what we ought to do is to operate in humility and to uh, not think too highly of ourselves and to put ourselves in a position where we are uh, prominent, but instead to uh, act in an attitude of sacrificial service and to take the lowest seat, not being entitled, not acting like we deserve to be in a particular position. And so he's been hammering on this idea of humility because what it means to respond is to recognize uh, what it means to respond is to hear something, to be impacted by it, and then to, to uh, react to that. And what he's been telling the Pharisees thus far is that, that uh, you know, I am the Son of God, that I am uh, coming here to deliver this message. I am bringing God's kingdom to earth. And they just keep saying, we're not going to listen to that. They keep wanting to interact with him, but they keep holding him at, at arm's length. And, and Jesus has been so gracious to continually invite them into a conversation, to continually welcome them. But he is asking them to respond, and he is telling them to do so with urgency. And so, as we come to uh, this, our text this morning, of course, uh, you also see this theme continue. The idea of humility and response. You see this uh, idea of, of responding to the invitation. And so, in the first section in, this, in, in chapter 14, we see uh, Jesus kind of speaking collectively to the religious leaders, the, the lawyers and the Pharisees there. In the second section that we looked at last week, you see Jesus speaking to the guests, all these people who are jostling for the best seats. But now as we come to this third section uh, in verse 12, he's speaking directly to the, the Pharisee who invited him, the, the person whose house this is. This is how Luke unpacks it for us in verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. So the idea here uh, that Jesus is getting at is uh, he's told these group of people, hey, you know what, when you come in, just sit at the lowest seat. So obviously he's speaking of the importance of, being, uh, of operating in humility of not thinking too highly of yourself, of uh, letting the, the master of the feast elevate you at that discretion that is um, allowed there. But then he, he turns now before anyone else can, can respond, right? And he turns in verse 12 and he tells the guy who started this feast, he's like, when you bring people in, why, why don't you just in, make sure that you invite people who are, um, who are, the, the poor who are, uh, you know, that are the opposite of what you would normally invite, really. He, he kind of gives this class of people. Maybe he's looking around at people in the room here. Maybe he's looking around at this guy's, at this guy's friends. He's like, I see your friends, your brother's here. I see, you know, my rich neighbor, my relatives. These are the people that are here. But he says, when you do this, when you do this, what it, what it does is it allows these people to repay you. Now, what is Jesus really getting at here? 
Because is he really against going to parties with like people who can throw a party, right? Because he's basically saying here, the people that you should invite are people who can't throw parties. Like, but you see throughout the scripture, like if you look at Jesus's very first thing he goes to, he goes to a party, right? He goes to this wedding feast in John chapter two. So clearly Jesus isn't just against all, all like parties. He's not against uh, inviting people who are well off or have the ability to do so. But again, remember, this is squarely in the tradition of calling them to humility. What he's getting at here is he speaks this, and I'm not going to unpack the whole thing, but if you look a little bit more intensely at uh, kind of the original wording, the original language surrounding this, what he's basically saying here, here is when you, give a, when you give a feast, don't only invite these people. Like, don't make this your exclusive guest list every time. Right? You're, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're doing other people a disservice if you just don't think about anybody except for the people who can also throw parties and repay you. The, the, the major point at, that Jesus is coming back to here is that, um, that we ought not to be doing good for the sake of being paid back in return. Because especially in this culture, uh, in this time, there is a customary practice of returning the the favor so if you went to a party that guest list right you're remembering everybody that's there the the guest lists were much larger than probably uh you know we would uh think of at this time because you would invite plenty of people that you didn't really have a lot of connection to just because of the the communal nature of this society you know basically like your entire neighborhood's invited to kind of this thing uh right otherwise like why would you would just invite your friends and not your rich neighbor like what like when that just person just be categorized as your friend like he's just a guy who happens to be rich and he's my friend next door but but jesus says there's these other people who are in the neighborhood that you're just kind of bringing all of them in you're not really considering who also is in the neighborhood and so his major point here that he's trying to get at is that the the type of fellowship that we ought to have is not in the perspective of being in, in relationship with people who can pay you back, who can reciprocate. There, there, uh, there doesn't need to be these social limits, these class hierarchies. And what Jesus is ultimately saying here, as he continues on in um, verse 13, is that the best hospitality that you can give is hospitality that is given, not that is exchanged. Right? That you can give that somebody cannot pay back. That you're not expecting people to pay back. That you're giving without asking in return. That you are continually putting forth that effort and care to love and show concern and care without uh, expecting that you will ever receive back from those people at all. This is the case that he's making, right? So he lays this out in verse 13. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. So these are people who would be classified as kind of like social outcasts. Um, the, especially in this time, a lot of the, the kind of the culture surrounding this group of people was that uh, these are people who the Jews would have associated sinful behavior with. Like these people are this way because uh, there was some sin associated in their life. Of course, you know, probably the most famous example that's uh, pinballing around in the back of your mind right now is 
uh, when the disciples are with Jesus in John chapter 9, and they are walking past this guy who's blind, and they're like, hey, Jesus, like, is this guy blind because, like, he sinned or because his parents sinned? Like, this is Jesus' followers who are nine chapters deep with him, and they're asking this question. So this tells you, like, what's built into their culture. Like, people assumed, like, this person has an issue. It's probably because they sinned or because parents sinned. Now, that's not to say that that's not always the case. Sometimes you do dumb stuff, right? You do sinful things, and you end up with the consequences of that. That might be the case. But what Jesus is saying here, and what he's pointing out here, is that this group of people who you would consider to be outcasts or maybe associated with sin, these are people that you ought to consider inviting. You'll note that he goes to the extremes. He doesn't say, like, you know, why don't you just, like, invite the people who are kind of like the lower, like the lower middle class people, like people who are a little bit down on their luck, but they, you know, they're probably going to be okay. He, he goes straight to like the furthest away that, he, that you could go. He goes to people who have no opportunity to pay. Like, they, like even if, if they wanted to make an effort, they couldn't even throw a, 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 like a partial party. This is like, there's no chance there's no glimmer of hope that this group of people, right, that the, that the blind guy, that the poor, that the lame are going to be like pulling together what they need to throw a party for an entire community. Like that's not going to happen. He just, he just squashes any of that hope that we might want to be like, well, you know, like maybe like one day if I invite this person, maybe one day I'm going to be able to attend one of their parties. It's just like zero chance that you're going to uh, this, these parties. And, and so in doing this, he tells, the, he tells uh, the people who are attending this feast, the ruler of this household, he says, when you invite these people in, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So the blessing is in the fact that you cannot be repaid, Jesus says. You're not going to be repaid by these people, but that God will see and that God will know and that God will, will see that you are being like him in nature, in character. And he will recognize that and say, oh, of course, that's one of mine. That, that child is one of mine. Because you see, he's, he's giving and, and being generous in such a way that no one can repay that. Because that's what, what Jesus intends to do for us, for this group of people here. He's trying to make the point that, like, I'm about to do something for you that you can never repay, that you can't, you can't respond to. There's nothing uh, that you can ever do to make things right. I'm going to give you something and a tremendous gift. I'm going to make an invitation to you that you can never respond to uh, by giving me an invitation back to pay me back. It's never going to happen. He's going to give this gift to them to make this available. And so he's, been, he's framing this up in such a way that they need to understand you're not going to reciprocate. You won't be able to. This is God's character. And in, in acting this way, you ought to be like God and give and be generous to others who cannot repay you. God will see. God will uh, respond in turn. 
Now, God is the one who sees the heart. God is the one who sees the heart and will know. So this, this kind of like loops out all of us who are like the sneaky uh, loopholers, right? Because I'm a real good sneaky loopholer. Like, really good. If you say something, I will follow it to a T, so that way like, I can take advantage of every opportunity competitive like that. So here, for, uh, for those of us who are like the sneaky loopholers, we need to understand that Jesus isn't saying, do good purely so you can get a better and longer-lasting heavenly reward. Like, that's not, like, the goal is not... Throw as many awesome parties as you can and invite people who can't pay you back so that way you are just going to be bank rolling in heaven. It's not about you getting that, right? That needs to be said because like for some of us, that's like a motivation. Like I am going to be rich in heaven because my parties are going to be incredible. I'm going to invite people who can never pay me back. That's not what he's getting at. What he is getting at here is that we ought to be like him in nature and character. And the, re- the reception that we get is one of God recognizing that we have been faithful, that we have given him glory, that we have pointed other people to him. And that the, re- the reward, the blessing that we will see is that other people have seen God's kindness through our lives. And we will see that other people are in turn responding to the gospel and they are seeing and savoring Jesus and they are responding to him. And then you look around more like, uh, more like a proud father looks at his children and being like, wow, like, I can't believe that they responded, that they grew up. Just like Jesus was tell- speaking to, to them earlier saying, I, I wanted to-, to gather you like my chicks and protect you, but you weren't willing. Right? Jesus is saying, like, I want to take care of you. And this is the perspective that we ought to have, that we're not seeing seeking to to, uh, do good things in order that we might have more heavenly rewards, but that way we might be like Jesus and people will see Jesus because we love Jesus. And when the people see Jesus, then they're going to be like, Jesus is amazing. And then we'll see people with Jesus and we'll be like, I told you he's amazing, right? You get it. There's a rejoicing. There's an increase in joy when you see other people enjoying the same thing that you enjoy. When they just get it, you're like, yes, okay. We are in this together. We are excited about this together. Now, seems like they're on the same page tracking, right, with me, because some guy in the crowd, he shouts out in verse 15, one of those reclining at table with him, he heard the things and he was like, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Like, this is exactly, like this guy's like, yo, we hear you, Jesus. I am in, I'm about to throw some parties. It's gonna be great, right? He is, he's excited about this because he sees opportunity. He sees the possibility. He sees his excitement at this. The mention of this opportunity the mention of the kingdom of God, of the resurrection, he gets excited about it. And it leads him to make this this comment. Now, behind this, right, because this isn't just, this isn't just uh, uh, any party that this guy's excited about here. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So that is a phrase for us that we're like, okay, like, cool, like, that's probably like good bread. Right? Probably it's going to be great. But, but for these people, the banquet imagery, the, 
the mention of the resurrection, right, that Jesus said there, he says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of, uh, of the just. All of this, it, it adds up in this guy's mind to, the, to equal out, like he's putting together the pieces and he's like, oh, like Jesus is talking about like, he's like, this is going to be the greatest banquet of all time. This is the fellowship that God has with his people in his future kingdom. So he's connecting some of the dots here, and probably he's leaning uh, pretty heavily on the, the framework, which when you get some time, you should read this chapter because it's really good. Isaiah 25, I'm going to pull one verse for you, but Isaiah 25, we read this, uh, this kind of promise from the Lord here. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. Like, you know that's not going to be some, like, lame feast, right? Like, this is this promised uh, moment when God dines with his people, when he gathers around the table with his people, when there's this great banquet that takes place. And this feast, of course, alludes to this, uh, it's remarking on this moment, this messianic moment where, um, that would, would be inaugurated uh, by the coming of the Messiah that would, would bring this into fruition with the people of God. And then ultimately, as, you, as we read through the scriptures, you see this culminated in Revelation 19 in the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? So this guy, he doesn't know about this yet, the marriage supper of the Lamb, but he's got Isaiah 25 in his mind here as he's, he's thinking about here. And so as Jesus is speaking, as they're talking about the banquet and gathering on the table and who should be invited, this guy is right, and probably all the Pharisees, they have this underlying assumption that all the Pharisees were going to be at this table. And this remark that is made by this guy, right, this is like one of the few times where someone speaks in this, in this section, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, that we would say that that is categorically true. Right, yeah, you're going to be blessed if you're, if you're doing this. What Jesus picks up on is the fact that these people think that they are there by default. And it causes Jesus to elaborate, to expound on who will be at this table. Look at verse 16. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. So he starts off now, he didn't even respond back to this guy and be like, he doesn't explain anything. He just says, that's how you want to play it? Okay, <laughs> here we go. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. So these people, Jesus starts off with his parable saying that there is this guy, he's given this great party and he invited many, many people. Now, as he opens this up, He's basically saying here the way that this would go out would be that there would be a, a servant that would go out and send these invitations, right? You're not going to get like an email invite in this time, in this day and age, uh, right? That's not going to happen. You're going to have someone come to your house and they are going to, uh, you know, share this message with you. Uh, the master of the house would like you to come and dine. We are going, we are preparing a great feast. We would like you to come. Uh, would you like to attend? Yes, great. So this servant goes out, he gets all the RSVPs. Uh, and all of these people respond back like, hey, 
we are on board. We're coming to this great feast. This sounds amazing. Then we find in verse 17 that the time for the banquet comes. Verse 17, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So now it's done. Uh, all the preparations are made. The party's ready to kick off. And I know you guys know what's about to happen here because there are many times you've been in, like RSVP to something. Then you had regrets that like, oh, dang, like, do I really, I really don't want to have to go to this thing now. Right. But that's what happens with these guys. He, the master of the house says, Hey, go out there and tell them it's time to party. We are t we, it's time to let this uh, banquet kick off. And so he sends them out. Everything's now ready. And so to refuse an invitation at this point, at this stage, uh, would, would be the same as, you know, it would be the same as RSVPing yes and being a no-show, right? Like, it, it, it's super rude. Uh, you know, you're, they're preparing for you. If you didn't want to go, you should have just said no in the first place. But they're preparing for you. You're in the head count. They're trying to get the right amount of food. They're trying to make sure that there's enough for everybody. Uh, they're trying to have this opportunity for everyone to have a great time. Everyone, they've worked hard for this. And now uh, he goes out and he says, tell everybody it's ready. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. And the first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. So, obviously, in this time, I mean, it's not so uh, dissimilar from our time, but rules of hospitality were, were pretty important. And it would have been super rude to refuse to come, to, exchange, to uh, you know, change your mind at the last minute and to decline an invitation that you had previously accepted. But these people do so. They refuse to accept the invitation, or they accepted it, but they refuse to attend uh, because they believe they have more important obligations. This is how it's framed up for us by Jesus uh, in verse 18. He says, this first man, this first example, he bought a field, and he must go out and see it. So he asks to be excused. So normally, that seems like a pretty reasonable request, right? You're like, hey, here's a field, and uh, I'm investing in it, and I want to go out and see it, right? But it says that he, he, he already bought the field. Right? He's thinking about buying the field. There's no timeline here. He's not like, I'm trying to close this deal. I'm, like, it, this is just like, Hey, I, I got like this other thing on my schedule that I got to go do. He doesn't have to go do this. He can go see his field tomorrow. He can go see his field like another time. He already owns the field. There's no reason why he can't. But what's being said here is that this guy is basically putting his love of material things, his prosperity, his wealth, above this gracious invitation. This is a party that you've been invited to, that you've already said yes to, and your field's just going to sit there. It's going to be this, like, you're not going to make the, this grand advancement in, in your efforts in your field in one day or even, like, a week. Like, it's not going to change that much. There's not going to be a huge deal. You're not going to have this, this isn't this, like, really unique opportunity for your field. 
But this guy decides that he wants to go see his field instead of going to the feast. Verse 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. So the next guy, he's got five yoke of oxen, and he's going to go out and test them. So the average farmer at this time would have had one or two yoke of oxen. Uh, but this man, he, he just buys five. So we're told basically that this is a rich guy and he wants to go, I don't, I don't know what he's trying to do, put like R&D into his oxen or something, like see what, I don't like, like start training them. Like what, what could you really be doing here? But this guy is essentially saying, like, maybe he's going to train people to work with them. Maybe he's going to harness them up and get his staff to start working with them. I don't know what he's got going on here. But he, he already has what the regular person would have, and now he's adding five on top of it. It's crazy. And so in this case, what we're, what we're intended to see and what Jesus is communicating here and what the Pharisees definitely would have saw is that the fact that, that this is a person who is putting their... Uh, their job, their occupation, their career, their business ahead of God's call to respond, to dine with him, to spend time at the meal with him. And then you find uh, that there is this uh, third guy who he says, and I've married a wife, verse 20, and I cannot come. So this one is very interesting because uh, in this one, in normal situations, and not normal situation, but this is a, a normal situation, a newly married man was, um, he was free from certain obligations. You know, for instance, uh, if you look in the book of Deuteronomy, it spells out that uh, if you are newly married and the nation's going to go out to war, like, you don't get to go. You're staying home. Uh, you know, at certain phases, at certain things as that were kind of like communal activities, as everyone's going out to do it, you don't get to go. Newly married guys, you're at home, right? Which is pretty cool because the whole point there is like you got to work on like your house. Like there's plenty of other people who've been established, they're squared away, but like the importance of, of like that focus on marriage there, it's incredible, right? You take the year off, that's awesome. Right? Just hang out with your wife, build a family, get settled. What a cool thing, right? And that's what happens when you let God be in charge. He's got this uh, dialed in for you, which is pretty cool. And so there, he would be free from obligations of war. This is a party, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> this guy says, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, what you need to see here is that this guy is different, right? So he, it's not like his wife wasn't invited to the party, right? It's not like, oh, men only are invited to this. That's not what's happening either. What's, what's happening here is that this guy, basically, he is just trying to say, like, I, I'm, I'm establishing myself and my identity is my own and I'm not going to, to be controlled by anybody. I'm not going to operate uh, in relationship to anybody. Uh, his, his family, his social ties are preventing him from responding to the call of God. Because for this particular instance, the rest of the guys who are invited, 
They ask to be excused. They say, please excuse me. Please excuse me from this. This guy just says, like, I'm not coming. He doesn't ask to be excused. He's the only one. He's the only one that doesn't say, uh, you know, please tell, please ask the master of the feast to excuse me from attending. This guy just says, I'm not coming. He just declares it. It's his statement. He's in charge. And, and what we're intended to see here is that it's, it's these uh, family ties that often um, prevent us from responding to the call of God in our lives. Because we are focused on other things. That we are, uh, that other pe- how other people might think about us. How other people in our lives, whether they're friends or family, uh, it doesn't have to be just only family, but social relationships in general often prevent us from being wholehearted for Christ. They often prevent us from, from operating in such a way that we are really responding to Jesus as the king. And so we find here in verse 21, the servant comes back and he explains these things to the master. Verse 21, Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. So the host, he's obviously upset by this because these people said they were going to come and then they had this change in plans. And so he's like, okay, we got to make these changes pretty quickly here. And so what you need to see here, which is very important, is that the master of the feast, this host, he doesn't postpone it because people can't come. He doesn't say, oh, everyone's unavailable. We're going to move this. Let's move it to a different date. No problem. Let's just push it back a day or two. He doesn't accommodate those people who say that they cannot come. Instead, he says, we're having a party anyways. And we're going to find people who want to be here, who really want to come, who really want to attend this. And so he simply invites a new group of people. You can accept or you can reject the invitation, but in either way, the feast is happening. It's not going to be delayed. It's not going to be postponed. No rescheduling. We're going for it. And so he tells his servant, go out to the streets, the lanes of the city, go to the back alleys, and pick up these people who are the poor, the crippled, the blind, and lame. He searches to go invite these people to the feast. Now, do you think it's a coincidence that Jesus says, when you invite people to the feast, don't invite your rich neighbors, don't invite your friends and family, invite the poor and blind and crippled. <laughs> and then, he's, then the person who the people who end up getting invited to the second one, Jesus is like, the people who were invited initially, they don't come because they're a rich neighbor who's out there with his five yoke of oxen, right? Someone else, he's got family, so he, he can't come. So Jesus is putting this into a, a picture for them so they can understand what's really going on. And he tells them, go out and search for these people. And the servant does so, verse 22 And he said, sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. So this second set of invitations has been issued. People responded, and they are present in the room. Now he says there's still more room, and the host, this master of the feast that has this banquet, he wants to have a full house. He's anxious for this to take place, and so uh, he wants to be generous with his desire to uh, share this occasion with others. And so he tells them, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. So, of course, 
This is representative, as Jesus is speaking this, of course this is representative of God's desire to see people respond, right? That's been the theme again and again and again and again throughout the scriptures, to respond, to respond, to respond. And he has extended his invitation to this first group of people. They don't want to take it. He goes to the next group of people. They respond. He keeps going. He's not going to have this feast until everyone who can possibly respond, who, who can possibly respond, has responded. This represents, of course, God's uh, patience and his generosity in seeking people and wanting them to come into his family, to join his house. Peter puts it this way uh, in his second epistle, chapter 3, verse 9. He says that the Lord is, is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Right? So, because sometimes if you're the person that responded already and you're at the feast right you're like in this this first crew right maybe you're maybe you're one of these people who's like okay i'm the blind guy and like you made it here and you're like when are we gonna eat because like i thought we were having a feast like can we just go like i don't really care if the room is full like 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 i could smell the food i know it's about to be like awesome can we just do this but the master feast is like no just chill out like we're i'm trying to fill up the room here Sometimes we can be the people who are a little bit irritated that, like, let's get the show on the road, right? Because I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get some food. I'm trying to, like, have this meal with Jesus. But, but what, what Jesus tells us and what, what Peter says there in 2 Peter chapter 3 is, he says, just pump the brakes. Just don't worry about that. Because even though you think it's slow, it's not slow. It's not slow. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. He's going to keep his promise exactly on time. So what he's saying there by, by analogy is like his house will be full of all the people who are going to respond. Right? He says, but, but he's patient toward you. Now, why is he patient? If you're at the table, you might be impatient. But he, the master of the feast, is patient. Why is he patient? Because 2 Peter 3, 9, he's patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's saying, I want the room to be full. Everybody who wants to respond, I want to give them an opportunity to respond. He's not trying to close the doors. Remember that narrow door that's going to get closed and he's going to be like, I don't know why, why you're knocking. I never, I never knew you. He's not trying to close the door a moment sooner than it needs to be closed. There will come that moment. And he'll get to that in our text. But he's trying to say, I am trying to make every opportunity available for people to respond. For people to, to hear my invitation to the feast and to say, I want to be there. If the room's not full, he's going to keep inviting. But until that room is just packed, the invitations are going to continue to be open. And so he tells the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. And so he sends him out that third time uh, to the highways, the outside of the city, basically is what that means. The hedges, probably like vineyards that would take place on the outside of the city. Um, or these are places where travelers would, would make their way through. Uh, of course, this is an obvious invitation here to the, uh, to the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's kingdom because they would have been welcomed uh, there as travelers, as people who were not there, but who were, who were coming in. Uh, Jesus, remember, speaks to the Pharisees uh, in chapter 13, um, if you recall, in that section about the narrow door, and he's talking about a feast again, right? 
Uh, he says there's going to be a time where we're sitting at the table. And if you recall, he says there in verse 29 that people are going to come from the east and the west and the north and the south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. So he's, he's told them already, like, travelers are going to come from the outside and they're going to be at that table in the kingdom of God. And here he's talking about this feast again. And so he's, he's telling them, go out and, and, and take in anybody who will respond. Travelers who are on the outside, who are just passing through. And what he says there um, uh, in verse 23 is he tells them, go out and compel people to come in. Compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. Now, this is not a, uh, like kind of this idea where he's forcing people to come in, but rather he's trying to, Tell his servant to be persistent, to urge these people to come in. Because if you're a traveler, you don't know the host. You're like, why is this random guy inviting me in? Why is this guy on the outside who has his like, party, like, why am I, why, why I going to come to his party? It seems a little suspect, a little sketchy. Like, I don't know this guy. So he just tells him, just don't take like, no, like, don't, don't take that for an answer like so easily. Just be persistent. These people are going to need encouragement. He's not going to force anyone to come in. Obviously, as his response to the original people who were invited shows, he doesn't tell his servant, like, force the people to be like, your oxen can wait and your field's fine. Just like, he just is like, okay, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. It's not about force. Uh, but instead, this is loving persuasion. It's to be used in an effort to invite these people so that the the master's uh, house would be filled. The goal is to have this full house. And then he finishes in verse 24 saying this, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So this is a restatement of what was said many times throughout the text. Of course, what we said there in uh, chapter 13, verse 29, that the travelers from the east and west and north and south will come in and recline at table, and some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last, right? So we, we saw that. We saw that uh, in, in the previous section, in verse 11 of chapter 14, that Jesus says, don't sit at the preeminent place of the table, sit at the lowest, because Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now you find that here's a role reversal again. The people who were originally invited are now excluded. And those who were originally not invited now participate in the banquet. He makes that promise. None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Which is crazy because basically what this means is like, I had a guest list, but like no one needs to stand at the door and check that because they're not coming. Like that's, it's an irrelevant list now. We don't need to make sure that these people are arriving. We don't need to check that off. We don't need to grant entry because everybody who I invited, they're all here. They're all inside. They're all seated at the table. Now these excuses to this audience would have sounded super lame to this group of people who Jesus is speaking to. They probably would have enjoyed 
the humor of this story, some of these things, like scoffing at this guy, like this guy's got five ox, five yoke of oxen, like what a dumb thing, right? Or even to be like, oh, this guy says he's got a wife at home, like you don't even know the scriptures, like you're not even supposed to, like that's not even a thing you can loophole out of. Like they're probably like thinking about it in this like kind of comical way until they realize, until they realize this was how, in Jesus' eyes, they were treating God's invitation to them. They sought out the best seats at the table. But Jesus is saying, you might not be at the table. You, you might not have a seat. You better respond. And Jesus is making the point here that the nation is going to miss the opportunity to sit at this table. The Pharisees are going to miss the opportunity to sit at this table because they have higher priorities than responding to the message that God has been giving to them. They have higher priorities than responding to God's generous offer. The feast is coming. The banquet is coming regardless of their response. If they say yes, but they're faking it, they're not going to come anyways. If they say no, they're not going to be there. Only if you say yes, if you speak with your mouth and then put it into practice, if you actually make your way to the location of the feast, will you actually be there? You've got to do both. You can't just say yes and then think you're, it's going gonna, it's gonna, you know, to appear suddenly around you. You've got to put it into practice and say, I'm going to do the things that will get me to the feast, that get me there. The party will not be delayed. Now is the time to respond. This is what Jesus is getting at. None of the people who are invited will taste the banquet if they continue in this uh, hard-heartedness and this lack of response. If you recall, Jesus opens this up by saying, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors. That is the framework that he puts forth. But instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Remember we said that what that meant was that Jesus was saying that we shouldn't just be exclusively getting, giving parties to other people. Clearly Jesus did love a good party. He was at many parties. He was in the Pharisees' households many times. But his very first party was that one that we spoke of in John 2. The wedding in Cana. He's there with his disciples and they're at that time feasting. And they are a couple days into the feast, but of course the 
the water or the wine runs out and uh, you know his mom's like hey like what, what are we supposed to do and Jesus is like why are you looking at me <laughs> like why are you asking me and he tells her my hour has not not yet come but then the mom's like just do whatever he tells you to do right she's like I don't know how to navigate this just like if he does if he wants right smart mom she's like if he wants to do something, just, just like do whatever he wants, wants to do. And in that process, of course, that he reveals his first miracle of transforming water into wine. And he brings it to the master of the feast. And they taste it and they're like, holy smokes, like you saved the good stuff for now. Like you were what, I don't know what you had before, but that stuff earlier was, was not great in comparison. One might say that this, uh, this fresh water that's been converted into wine would have been so well done that you might have considered it well-aged. It might have had that throwback in, 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 in their minds and in Jesus' minds and probably the best wine that these people ever had to this promise of Isaiah 25. That we will feast on the mountain of the Lord and we will have the rich foods. We will have the fine aged wines. We will enjoy these things together with him as the master of the feast. It's Jesus popping onto the scene here with his very first miracle. It's not, it's not an accident that his first miracle is at a feast. It's not an accident that he shows up here as a guest. But the next time uh, that, that, that we see him will be at the first new feast in the new kingdom. The institution of his new, uh, his new world and his new way and his new creation and his new people. And the fulfillment of his new covenant. And we will have that feast with him. We will drink of the cup with him. The cup that he promised to abstain from at the Last Supper. Right? He had it that one last time and said, never again. Not until we are together. Not until I, as, as the groom, welcome my bride to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That was just a, a little bit of foreshadowing of, of what to come. Jesus was kind of inspecting it and being like, before I head off into this, to my ministry, to prepare my bride, this is what I'm looking forward to, the feast. This is what's in the back of his mind. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that as he's at the cross, we were the joy that set before him. As he uh, endured that shame, on our behalf. As he looked uh, down at the people who were, who were crucifying him and realizing, my work here is for your sin, but my ask for you is an invitation to my feast. Only in that moment do you find that, you know, that, that paradox of like, we are killing him and being invited into, into his family at the same time. We're going to be invited into that final table where we will dine with him. And we will enjoy all of the benefits 
of being with the master of the feast. The question now is, will we respond? Will will we be a people who when the master says, the feast is ready, we're ready to go in and find our seat at the low end of the table. Go, go and just make your way in and find a little corner to, to sit in. Because when we do that and everybody gets there, no one's going to be looking around and seeing where everyone's seated. Everybody just wants to see the master of the feast. Just be like, holy smokes, this is the first feast he's had. Nobody here has attended a feast with him. Until like right now. Like this is the real deal. This is it. This is meant to produce within this group of people, the Pharisees, a response. They're supposed to change. They're supposed to see this and be like, okay, we got to get our lives in order. For us, it's meant to to redirect our hearts and to say, okay, I've got to be a person who's responding to the feast. I've got my invitation. I've RSVP'd. Yes, I'm coming. But now I've got to be constantly making my way to the feast. Making sure that, you know, I'm, I'm on there printing out my map quest right now. So that way, right, or for some of you, like, you got the Thomas Brothers, right, and you're flipping through your, your little book there, ready to, ready to go. Or for, you know, you young ones, you just got the Google Maps on your phone. We've got to be making our way, following those directions, and delighting him along the way, and delighting in him along the way. Pre-game. Pre-game. Get excited about it. Because when you go there, that feast, it's going to be awesome. We're going to enjoy him forever. And we're going to see him and we're going to have fullness of joy in his presence as promised. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your kindness and love towards us. And we ask that you would uh, call us to respond. We don't just want to hear about you. We don't want to just uh, hear a story about people who are invited to the feast. But we want to remember that we have been invited. That we um, we have been welcomed to partake of this as well. And so we want to respond affirmative. We want to respond with a resounding yes, and then we want to put action to our words so that we might walk with you faithfully day by day by day by day. With excitement. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to do that work and that you would use us as your servants to go out into the highways and and the hedges to invite people in, to remind people that your house is not full yet, that many are welcome. We want people to to see your love and your care and your generosity, your kindness. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to respond to you. And use us for your glory. We love you. Amen. Amen.